There you go. All right, all right. Well, uh, Ryan jokingly, I think, asked me who I am, but just to, just to kind of tell you, so you, I don't, I don't, so you know how to listen to a guy like me. Uh, I mean, I'm 35 years old, and <laughs> what are y'all laughing for? That was cruel. That was cruel, man. No, bottom line is, I, I've been married for 43 years to this wonderful lady. Next month, it'll be 43 years. Three kids, six grandkids. Uh, but here's the piece that's the most important. I got saved a month after we got married, so 43 years ago. And um, basically, from the beginning, I've just always been a guy that people like to talk to. And so I started to, to kind of do counseling and then he, I was pastoring and I used to say that I was a pastor that did a lot of counseling. And now I would probably say in hindsight that I would, I've probably always been a counselor who kind of just happened to be pastoring. And um, of course I see the two very easily work together. But um, so I, I come, I, we planted and pastored a church in 1984. You didn't even call it that. I mean, there's, it wasn't cool then. It wasn't whatever. I tell people we started a church by accident. Now you call it church planning. But um, we pastored that church on paper. I was the pastor for 24 years. But during that time, I went back to school and got my master's degree to, to become a professional counselor. And uh, I really did that because I thought we needed the money. The church wasn't doing that well. Because I'm really, I really wasn't a very good pastor, actually. But um, I just, whatever. But um, <laughs> there's reasons for that. But I just didn't wake up thinking about how to build a church. I always wake up thinking about how to build people and mess with people and all that good stuff. So um, I'm just kind of trying to give you kind of a look at how to, how to uh, listen to me. And then why am I here? Well, you know, somewhere in there I started to travel and you know, I'd teach on marriage and my wife and I would do seminars. I do these, I used to do these men's sexuality weekends where I would talk about PAM, pornography assisted masturbation. And I know there's nobody in the room that's ever had an issue with that. But um, <clears throat> see, see how quiet it gets? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not afraid of any topic and uh, whatever. Love, love this stuff. I love what I get to do. And I love being able to mess with heads. So... Why does every leader need a counselor? Honestly, there's part of me that's like, do I really have to answer this question? Are you serious? But I know that, you know, we, we do. And, uh, and we can sneak in whatever we, uh, wherever we want to go. So say yes if you're good. Y'all good? Yes. All right. So we're going to do, we're going to use one of my favorite kind of text to start a meeting like this. And there's friends in the room from Seacoast, so I think they've probably heard me do this before. But what we're going to do is we're going to read the three little pigs. That Actually, the three little pigs. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about, think about it as if it were a parable and think about what principles or wisdom you could derive from it that affects our life and journey in what we do. So we're going to read through it. Now, here's, I need a little bit of help. So which side wants to be the wolf and which wants to be the pigs? I heard wolf over here first. Come on. So, by the way, this is, no. <laughs> Wolf's over here, so you, you know what wolves say? Y'all got it? No, 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 no. In the, in the story, in the story. <laughs> All right. Yeah, <wait. laughs> 
<laughs> ow, ow. All right, all right, we're good. All right, ready? So be thinking now, because we're going to do a little, we're going to give you a chance to shout out a couple of times during our time together. All right, once upon a time, there were three little pigs who lived in a cozy house with their mother. One day, Mother Pig said, you're all grown up now. It's time for you to go out into the world, build your own houses. Build them strong, and you'll be safe from the big bad wolf. The first little pig was a lazy little pig. He built the simplest kind of house so he could have time to rest. His house was made of straw. It was not very strong. The second little pig was a playful little pig. He built his house quickly so he could go out and play. His house was made of sticks. It was not very strong. The third little pig was the smartest pig of all. He listened carefully to his mother's advice and built a strong house of bricks. The little pigs didn't know or forgot that lurking in the nearby forest was the big bad wolf. The wolf was very hungry, and for his supper, he wanted a pig. The big bad wolf knocked on the first little pig's door, and what did he say? Little pig, come on, pig, let me come in. What'd the pig say? Not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. All right, what'd the pig, the wolf say? Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. So the wolf huffed and he puffed and he blew the straw house down. The first little pig ran as fast as his legs would take him. Next, the wolf knocked on the second little pig's door. What did he say? Little pig, little pig, let me come in. Really strong up in this area. I like that. What'd he say? Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. So the wolf huffed and he puffed and he blew the stick house down. The second little pig ran away as fast as his legs could take him. The third little pig heard a knock on his door. He was surprised to find his trembling brothers standing on the other side. The big bad wolf blew our houses down, they cried. Quick, come inside, said their brother. Minutes later, there was another knock on the door. What did he say? Little pig, little pig, let me come in. Wow. Y'all are good, man. What did he say? Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. So the wolf huffed and he puffed and he puffed and he huffed. But no matter how hard he tried, he could not blow the brick house down. The big bad wolf was very angry. I'll get you little piggies, he snarled. He climbed up on the roof and crept toward the chimney. Hearing the wolf on the roof, the third little pig was quick to light a fire. The wolf slid down the chimney and was met with hot crackling flames. This is kitty version. The wolf's tail was badly scorched and he ran from the house. I think in the original he was made into soup or something. I don't know. This is the edited version, apparently. All right, so what spiritual principles could you, could you derive from that? Talk to me. Just holler stuff out. Pardon me? Need a foundation. Listen to your parents. Know what material to use. That's a cool one. Go to the right brother. Go to the right brother. <laughs> Patiently build. Surround yourself with the right people. Sometimes the wolf shows up in the form of a lot of 
<laughs> wow, I've never heard that one before. That's pretty good. Pretty good. What else? Build a brick house. <laughs> the wolf is everywhere. Don't eat pork. <laughs> All right, what in the world, man? What in the world has this got to do with why every leader needs a counselor? Um, you know, obviously I do this other places and I've thought through some of what, you know, what I think. And just here's a couple of thoughts for you. What if the wolf is time? What if the wolf is time? Here's the deal. I can promise you this. One thing about being a little bit older, I would guess, I don't know, I would guess I'm probably the oldest person in the room. No, actually, my wife's the oldest person in the room, and I'm supposed to tell you that. <laughs> one month, one month. Still kicks my butt, but no shame. <laughs> no shame. <laughs> One of the advantages of being old, on the older end of the scale is, you know, I do have a perspective. I've been at this, this like pastoring and counseling for almost 40 years now. And um, I can promise you this, everything you build will be tested. Everything. And you do not know the quality of what you've built until it's tested. And here's the scary thing. Social media is like the... The, the magnified version of it, but we don't, we, this was going on before social media. How many of you know you can look good for a couple hours at church? How many of you know you can look good for a couple hours in the office during the week? Where does it, where is it impossible to hide? Home, right? So what if the wolf's time, everything you, you build is going to be tested, Right? So what other things could you draw out of this? You got a lazy pig, playful pig, and a smart pig. And again, this is the counselor guy. Here's what I would say to you. The inside creates, shapes, and defines the outside. Who you are on the inside, how healthy you are, how together, how, what, you know, what, what's working, what isn't, where your wounds are, et cetera, et cetera. What's on the inside determines what you build on the outside. Um. So I love this little story because it's got a lot of cool stuff in it. Um, another one, I don't think I heard anybody say this, but I thought it was pretty cool that normally, they must be more spiritual and mature than you guys, but uh, nor, normally somebody says that the third one's the one they all went to for help. In other words, if and as, if and as we work to get our act together, we can be one of those folks that people run to and rely on. Make sense? All right, Mark chapter four, <clears throat> parable of the sower. You can look there if you want or not. I'll throw some stuff on here. Normally, I would have notes and all for you, but honestly, this was like overwhelming all the different things I'd like to talk to you about. So we're just gonna kind of wing it and I'll do my best to help it make sense. So in Mark chapter four, you got the parable of the sower, right? Jesus says that the sower sows the seed and some seed fell on roadside, some seed fell on rocky soil, some seed fell among the thorns, and then some seed fell on good soil, right? Okay, here's a really important question. How many permanently profited from what they heard? How many ended well? One in, one in four, right? Now, 40-some years doing this, 
I would say to you that I don't mean that's the best you're going to do, but if you've got 100 people, that's a fairly accurate assessment of what's going on in the room. You probably got 25% of the people sitting there that are ready to take what you're selling and do something with it in a way that's going to last. I've always been drawn to longevity. I, I, I love this. I love this simple connection of thoughts. Live well, finish strong. Why do I love it? Because I've figured something out. If you do one, you automatically do the other. If you set yourself right now, most of you punks are younger than me. If you set yourself right now, I want to finish strong. Guess what it's going to force you to do? Well, if you set yourself to live well, guess what you're probably going to do? You follow me? So, parable of the sower. By the way, let me ask you a question. Life-wide, here's the deal, man. Let's just get this out of the way. Anytime I talk about living well, finishing well, or whatever, I'm not talking about ministry, period. How many of you know ministry is a part of your life that isn't your life? How many of you know sex is part of a marriage, but there better be more to it than that? Well, there better be more to your life than ministry. And you just got to, so when I talk like we're talking today, I'm not talking about you doing one area of your life well. That's the problem. And quite honestly, that's a good way to answer the question, why do, why do most leaders, if not all leaders, need a counselor? And by the way, we'll do, don't let me get away with this without talking about what I would have put counselor in quotes because I don't mean it's necessarily got to be a professional counselor, and we'll talk about that. But um, the bottom line is you're, <laughs> the numbers are against you. Uh, the parable of the sower. How many of the spies made it into the land? You following me? Yeah. Read a book years ago called, I think it was called Finish Strong or Finishing Strong or something. I don't know. And um, they'd done a study. Uh, I think it was like a 10-year study. Or no, it was a two-year study. I'm sorry. Two-year study. And without much effort, they found 250 pulpit ministry people, probably men at that time, just because of where the church was, that had um, disqualified themselves for ministry in that last 24-month period. And, and they interviewed them and talked about it. In the process, this guy, probably in my age range now, said this, that as he's watched the body of Christ, he said it's very rare for someone to start on fire for God in their 20s and still be on fire for God in their 60s. Now, here's the deal, guys. What, what extraordinary, extraordinary, what extraordinary measures are you going to take to be that guy, to be that lady? What are you going to do to where, I'll tell you the honest to goodness truth. I was raised American heathen, didn't go to church, got <laughs> saved a month after we got married. And, and I don't, like I said earlier, I think I said it, I've always been drawn to scriptures about you'll, you shall bear fruit and your fruit shall remain. I just, I just like longevity, right? 43 years on the clock with God. No, no breaks, no vacations, no detours. Never been bored. Never been bored. Having a blast. One of the things I'm the most grateful for is I'm sitting here at 65 and I, you're eating my dust. And you're going to keep eating my dust because I'm going to keep running. <laughs> 
I dare you. I dare you to try to outrun me. Chasing God. Chasing people that are hurting. I dare you. I hope you like the taste of dust. <laughs> now, what are you going to do to find that inside? What are you going to do to find something that just like put your fingers in a wall socket and light you up for the next 60 years? Right? Yeah. How do you get bored? How did we make Christianity boring? God help us. You got to be smart to do that. A relationship with Almighty God, the opportunity to interrupt, intersect, invade other people's lives and rock them. How do you make that boring, man? Dear Jesus, help us. You know, when you run, you know, you run your mouth for a living like this, you, 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 know, you get asked similar questions. And one of the questions is, you know, hey, dude, you're an older guy. You sound like you've been at this a while. What's the secret? Like, here's a question I would pose to you. What's the secret to a multi-decade life of passion and purpose, intimacy and impact? What's the secret? How many of you would like a two-word answer? Hunger, compassion. Hunger for God, compassion for people. Hunger for God, compassion for people. What do I mean? I mean, you got to find how to hang around people that provoke your hunger for God. I remember the New Age movement back in the day. You know, people are all uptight about the New Age movement. Part of why the New Age movement even came to the surface was the church was so freaking dead. And people were just walking around like there's got to be more. And the church wouldn't do it. So the God had to go outside the church and stir people up. There's more to life than this boring Sawdust, bleh. Well, guess what? To you, and I can say this to you at my age or any age you're at, I don't care what you've experienced, I don't care what you know, what you do, there's more. Say there's more. more. You got to live like you believe that. You got to live like you believe that. So hunger for God, compassion for people. Here's the deal. If If you stay near bruised, bleeding hurting people, you're always going to see the hand of God because God loves people. God loves people. I'm getting somewhere. I know our topics. Why does every leader need a counselor? Because we're jacked up. We're done. Go ahead and leave. We're all, (laughs) I mean, is it true? Who's who in the room's jacked up? Who wants to tell us about it? The reality is he's telling the truth. (laughs) All right, so one in four, but here's the thing. Tell me this real quick. Just yell some stuff out of me. Take a minute, pause, and think a second. What does finishing strong look like to you? Still in love with Jesus. Jesus. Your family loves you. Leaving a legacy. Leaving a legacy. Increased influence, not quitting, not quitting. Still, caring about still caring about people, happy with myself. Happy with myself. Wow. Um, <laughs> boom. <laughs> boom. <laughs> Integrity. Right? I think the only family one was my family loves me. 
Um, how many of you would agree that it's probably tricky to navigate a marriage through all the different seasons? You know, children, college, and rah, 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 rah. And again, it's one of the things we love that we're standing up here in front of you, and there's not but there's not but a few seasons left for us. And and I was about to say we're okay with that. Not exactly, but um, the bottom line is there's a lot to this. Here's what I want to say to you, and this this is where we're going to start edging toward why every leader needs a counselor. So in the parable of the sower, you got roadside, you've got rocky soil, you've got thorns, and then you've got good soil, right? Um, That's in Luke, uh, I'm sorry. Mark 4, in Matthew 13, Jesus says in the explanation part that the soil is the heart, right? So we good with that? Okay, by the roadside, you know, you pastored one place for a long time. I would tell you the most discouraging, hardest part of pastoring is the people that just don't get it. You pour your heart out week after week after week, year after year after year. I used to tell people that some of you, the only thing that's changed is your weight and hair color. Nothing else has changed. <laughs> and I, how many of you know I wasn't a good pastor, like I said? <laughs> that doesn't exactly create revival. <laughs> and yes, I mean that. I really would say that. <clears throat> so roadside are people that they're just not even in the game. You know, they're, they're there because somebody twisted their arm. They're there because there's a chick across the room that looks good and whatever. They're there just for wrong reasons. So by the time they get out the door, they lose what they, they heard. Make sense? All right, now here's where you got to think a little bit. What was Jesus trying to tell us? One in four is the best you can hope for? I don't think so. I think he was trying to give us insight into something. I used to teach high school, and I, and I, and I kind of, the, you know, the whole bell curve thing, basically about 64%, most people would say, are in there. And what's that on each end? Uh, 36, so 18%. That's probably not perfect. But um, here's what I learned about when I was teaching high school. The group at the top, they're going to learn no matter what I do. I mean, I could have them all come in the door, close the door, and I could just sit and play solitaire the whole hour. There's a group in that room they're going to learn no matter what I do. There's another group, doesn't matter what I do, at this moment in their life, internal issues, external issues, whatever, they're just not going to get it right now. I'm not sentencing them to never getting it. But right now, they're just not going to get it. Now, here's where it gets juicy. The 64% in the middle is going to depend on me. How I package and present the truth is going to have a lot to do with whether they get it. You with me? Yeah. Little side note for ministry peeps. Uh, the devil would love to keep you on this end. Now, Everybody deserves attention, love, and whatever. But you got to be smart about where you invest your energy. Just like God will send you people, the devil will too. And it's horrible to have to say, but it's just the truth. So in this middle area is kind of what we're going to look at. So seed fell on rocky soil. Which was there first, the seed or the rocks? Seed fell on rocky soil. So the, the, the rocks were there first, right? Among the thorns, which was there first, the seed or the thorns? Okay, so what in counseling lingo, you call these pre-existing conditions. 
pre-existing conditions. Dude, what are you talking about? How many of you know the condition of your heart determines the penetration and progress of the word? I used to hear messages on the Father loves you. My biggest woundedness in childhood was from my father. Basically a pretty good fella, but didn't know how to express affection very well. Told me he loved me twice. Second time was when I was 17. Now, I say twice. Later in life, he told me more. But at 17 years of age, I got on an airplane in Buffalo, New York to fly to Charleston, South Carolina to go to the Citadel. And for the second time in my life, my father told me he loved me. Is that enough? Gosh, I hope you don't think so. And he, he, he liked my brother better than me. And he didn't love my brother better than me, but he liked him because he was more like him. I'm kind of a book freak and I'm, my soul's a little bit wired with a strong feminine side. I would cry watching Lassie and whatever and uh, whatever. <clears throat> so my point though is I had some pre-existing conditions when I became a Christian. So I would hear messages on, well, let me back up a minute. What did that do to me? It, it created this kind of a statement inside of me. I'm a disappointment. I'm a disappointment. Gosh, we could talk so much about this kind of stuff. And so here, here I'm now Christian. And, you know, I'm, I just, I'm, whatever. I'm so blown away. I'm in love. Gosh, it's awesome. Um, I don't know about how many years in we knew I was called and I was, that I was going to be in ministry. And so I would get around pastors and, and what, was it, what was playing in the background was, I'm just a disappointment. I don't fit in with these guys. Male authority figures have always been an issue for me. Now, I'm much, much, much healed, although of late, I've realized that it's not dead, just very disempowered, but not dead. So my point is, it, it created this odd, I'm a disappointment, and it created this sense of insecurity and inferiority. Um, oh, well, you know, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, old things pass away, behold. All that disappeared when you get saved? No. Anybody that dumb anymore? <laughs> I mean, it's in the Bible, but we don't have time to teach on spirit, soul, and body. John chapter 3, that which is born of the flesh, flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The bottom line is, yes, in your spirit, you're brand new. Brand new. In your body, one day you're going to get a renewed incorruptible body. In the meantime, your soul's a mess. You follow me? So, uh, by the roadside, rocky and thorns, pre-existing conditions, they don't just disappear. How about this one? Look at, uh, look at Jeremiah 110. Somebody go there real quick for us, please. Who's an overachiever? Come on. Chris? <laughs> Somebody got Jeremiah 110? You got it? Thank you. Right there. See today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to All right, read those six things. All right, listen now. Before you read the six things at the end there again, I want you guys to be thinking about this. What's the character or effect of these six things? Go ahead. Build and to plant. 
right, what would be some immediate observations? You got six things, four of them are what? Four of them are destructive. Two of them are what? Guess what? That's a perfect picture of spiritual growth. Two-thirds of spiritual growth is getting rid of what's already there. Two-thirds of spiritual growth is uprooting, breaking through the rocks, and pulling the thorns. Are you with me? Why does every leader need a counselor? Because here's the problem. Here's the problem. All this stuff we're talking about happened before you had a choice and before you could even really catch it going in. Make sense? All right. A uh, little picture that I love. We got a little baby here. Where'd the baby go? Oh, they stepped out? Okay. All right, how many of you agree with this? In childhood, the outside shapes the inside. You with me? And then in adulthood, the inside shapes the outside. You follow me? How many think that's kind of important? (laughs) Well, I read a book on inner healing. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm happy for you. (laughs) Which one? Yeah, really. (laughs) Really. Um, How do we become the way we are? How many of you have at least one issue God's still working on? How many of you have another one? How many have some kind of behavioral cycle, <laughs> behavioral cycle, relational cycle that, that just doesn't get you the result you want, but you keep doing it? Have you ever just like, what in the world? What did Paul mean in, in Romans 7 when he said, the thing I want to do, I don't. The thing I don't want to do, I do. I mean, you think we need to kind of slow down and think some of this stuff through. Yeah. Why, why can really, really good, solid, saved Christians act like the devil himself? You ever seen one? Colleen, would you stand, please? <laughs> Y'all protect me. <laughs> I refuse to do anything if you can't have fun. Come on, man. No, I actually had somebody say to us lately that doing what you do for a living, you're either going to cry or laugh. And I've chosen to laugh. So, whatever. What was I saying before my wife interrupted us? (laughs) Crazy Christians. Crazy Christians, whatever. All right, how do we become the way that we are? How many of you, how many, Matthew uh, 22. I'm still going there, I promise. That's how my brain works. Matthew 23, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? In one word, what did he say? Love. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Willow Creek writes their book. It goes on to say, love your neighbor yourself. Willow Creek writes their reveal study years ago, and they studied discipleship all over the world and socioeconomic classes and everything. 
I don't normally read stuff like that because I'm, you know, I'm just not into all that church growthy stuff anymore. You guys can figure that out. But uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to read it. So I was like, I don't want to read it. And I knew, you know, how, you know how it says, I just, I knew he was teasing me. There's something he wanted me to see. So I read it and I got to page like 74, 76. The reason I remember is because I could quit now. I saw what he wanted and I'm done. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but what I saw was this, they, they spent all this money into this study and they got to this really cool result. And here's what they said. We finally figured out why our discipleship's not working. We're making it too complicated. It really is meant to be easy. And here's what it's supposed to be. We need to produce people that love God and love others. There's only one problem with that. It's not what the Bible said. It's why it isn't working. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor how? Whoa. Whoa, whoa, wait, 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 whoa, whoa. I'm supposed to hold myself in high regard? Secular definition of love, cool definition. I think it's a Carl Rogers thing. Non-judgmental, positive regard. I think that's a cool definition. Non-judgmental, positive regard. What did, the, what did it say? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor How? Now, I personally believe that's something you do automatically. You love your, the people around you the way you love yourself. How many of you would think your next statement should be, Houston, we have a problem? <laughs> right? How many of you believe you're supposed to love what God loves, value what he values, hate what he hates? Say yes if you agree. Yes. He's pretty crazy about the person sitting in your chair. He's pretty crazy about the person sitting in your chair. Greg and I were talking one time, and I can't remember what we were talking about. And um, I don't know. can't remember. This will just sound weird, but it fit in the conversation. We were talking about people getting people to serve and stuff like that. And I said, Greg, here's the problem. We're sending hungry people to work on the soup line. We're, we're trying to, here, here's the problem with the church. Most of what we call ministry is mutual manipulation. You're using me to achieve your goals, and I'm using you to achieve mine. Why? Because we haven't learned to get them met correctly. Jesus. Stands up at a festival. Anybody thirsty? Dallas Willard, anybody like Dallas Willard? If you don't, you can leave now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't agree with everything he said, but he's, he's, he was an awesome gentleman. Um, uh, John chapter 4, John chapter 7, one's the woman at the well. I always get it mixed up. Uh, John 4 is the woman at the well, I think. So in John 7, if anybody's thirsty, Dallas Willard defined thirst as the pain or discomfort of unmet need. The pain or discomfort of unmet need. So what was his solution? If anybody's thirsty, let him what? Come to me and do what? Drink. How many of you think it's in, it was intentional that he made it so simple? 
Just come to me and drink. And what did he go on to say? If anyone's thirsty, the pain or discomfort of unmet need, come to me and drink and out of your belly. Listen to me now. You were created to live from fullness, not for fullness. You were created to live from approval, not for approval. You follow me? We are an extraordinarily idolatrous culture. Oh, you mean the United States of America and Western? I mean the church of Jesus Christ. I mean this wonderful group of people at this conference. What do you mean by that? An idol, I-D-O-L, is any person or thing used to meet a need that only God can meet or that God would prefer to meet. First commandment, have no other gods where? What does that mean? Two words I love, first and most. What God's saying is this. If you look to anyone or anything before me, first, if I'm not the first and most, first and most, God, I, you know, I, I need to feel a sense of belonging. God first and most. God, I need to feel respected. God first and most. I need to be loved. God first and most. Y'all with me? What's wrong with the church? How, many, how about somebody come up here and help me? Or never mind, you do it now. Here, Colleen, would you jump up, please, Ben? <clears throat> and forgive me if it offends you that I tease my wife like that, but... <laughs> That might not be good, but here, hold that. All right, imagine these buckets are what we all need. We need, tell me what we need. What do we need? Love. What else? Appreciation. Acceptance. Security. All right? I want you to imagine about an inch at the bottom, the rest is empty. About an inch at the bottom, the rest is empty. Now, we turn to other things. We turn to people. We turn to possessions. We turn to pleasure. We turn to power. We turn, you see where I'm going? We turn to all kinds of things. And what in essence we're doing is we're walking around. Would you put a little something in my bucket? Would you please put a little something in there? Now, let's say they're a married couple. What does life look like? All right, I want you to imagine... They got used to this. Dude, I knew she's gonna beat you to the punch. All right, so here's the thing: they got about an inch at the bottom, right? I don't care. I don't care if he's, you know, like the second best husband on earth because we know who the first is. But let's say he lives his life sacrificially and he pours his whole bucket in there, right? Number one, what has she got now? Two, two, you know, two inches at the bottom. She's still empty. What's he got? Are either one of them going to be healthy? So I've learned the secret to a great marriage, great friendships, great life. You go over here in the corner and you have an affair with God. And what does he do? (laughs) Some of you are like, I tried that. It didn't work. I shouldn't joke about that. <clears throat> All right, you go over here and you have an affair with God. What does he do? 
How many of your needs can he meet? Virtually all of them. Not all of them, but virtually. So Colleen has an affair with God, and her bucket's now virtually full. Now imagine coming back toward each other from fullness. Feel any different? Insanely different. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, what in the world has this got to do with why every leader needs a counselor? I hope I don't have to answer that question. I mean, we're, we're all a bunch of thirsty people trying to suck. You know, most marriages are two ticks and no dog. What do I mean by that? Most marriages are two people trying to get from one another what neither one of them has. What would the church of the Lord Jesus Christ look like, feel like, flow like, if more and more, if this critical mass learned to go to God first and most, first and most, first and most, first and most? What if you change the way you woke up in the morning? How, am I, how many of you in this room want to fulfill God's purpose for your life? Right? It was a little slow, dude. I mean, dude, 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 it was a little slow, man. I was like, whatever, all right, we'll talk to you afterwards. Are you even saved? I'm just kidding. So everybody in the room wants to fulfill God's purpose, right? How many of you think you need to answer a question? Why did he create me? And if you're, you guys are from home, be quiet. Why did he create me? Pretty good question, isn't it? Do you agree, I want to fulfill his purpose. I probably need to answer the question, why did he create me? So why did he create you slash us? Why did he do it? Okay, let's take that further though. Pardon me? Somebody over here? To glorify him? For good works. Because he wanted to. He's God, man. <laughs> the Trinity, all alone. Nothing else yet. What in the world compelled them to fling this? What? What? What, what did he have? or not have, or what? In other words, what was the motivation? Multiplication. Somebody to love him unconditionally, or well, choose to love him, rather? All right, somebody to love him. Now, Warren Buffett asks you to go to lunch with him. Does he need your money? What does he need? He might need somewhere to give his money. Why did God create you? He didn't create... <laughs> What's that? To give us money? Hey, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. But here's the thing. Why did he create you? To love you. Oh, he created us to love him. Er, wrong answer. First John 4, 19. We love him because he... So, back to our question. How many of you want to fulfill God's purpose? What is it? To live loved. Oh, to worship him. That's not, that's not your purpose. It's a byproduct of your purpose. 
You follow me? God's not a rock star who wants people screaming his name. Give me a break. The only deficit, if you could call it that, which I'm not sure that's theologically okay, but the only thing that makes sense is he was dripping with love and not enough places to share it. So what is your purpose? To be loved. Now, back to what pushed me over here. What if you rethink how you start your day? We love him because he first loved us. He created me to love me. So you wake up and you do your little quiet time thing, but what if you had a little twist to it? And as soon as your eyes open, you're just like, God, you there? Yeah, Chipper, I'm there. You like me, God? Oh, I love you, Chipper. We gonna have a good day? Oh, Chipper, I got a good day planned. I've been hovering over you, waiting for you to wake up. Nick, that's a little creepy, but whatever. <laughs> So my wife does. I'll wake up and she's like, whoa, girl. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> whoa, whoa, aren't we excited? <laughs> it's getting a little slower. Did y'all notice that? <laughs> Are y'all following me? Now, here's the deal. Why do I think every leader needs a counselor? Because we've got to get this stuff, man. Me, whatever, I won't even, pre, I won't, uh, whatever. I was about to qualify what I'm about to say, but here's the deal. When a guy like me comes to an art conference, you know what I see? I see a room full of orphans. I see a room full of people just walking around hoping somebody will notice them. And I'm talking in the green room. I'm not talking about just out in the hallways. I'm talking even in the green room. I just have a vision. What would the church look like with leaders at every level that don't compare or compete? How many of you agree comparison is the root of all inferiority? Oh, well, brother, if you do this or that, you can have a big church. What if you're not supposed to? Well, everybody wants a big church. I don't care if you want one. What if it's not your destiny? Oh, but our culture loves fast and big. I kind of thought we were reproducing the kingdom, not our culture. I think we've got to be on our toes that the culture around us has infiltrated the church. Oh, you mean just a teeny bit? No, I don't. I wish. What about leaders who wake up and walk out of their bedroom and even brush their teeth and their bucket's already full? Ah. When I was learning all this, I'd, you know, you, you know, we all have our weird little stuff. You know, I'd be getting ready to do this, talk to a group of people like yourselves. And here's a little process I would walk through. Listen to me now. I would walk through this. I want you to like me. I want you to think well of me. I want you to say nice things about me after we're finished. But I don't need you to like me for me to be okay. Why? God likes me. What's your name, sir? Jorge. Jorge? You mind me picking on you? No. All right. Jorge, Jorge, Jorge doesn't like me. 
God likes me. Jorge doesn't like me. God likes me. Jorge doesn't like me. God likes me. Jorge doesn't like me. Jorge's an idiot. <laughs> Why in the world would I let Jorge ruin my day? Are you with me? That's right. He's an idiot. I mean, think. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> now imagine, imagine. Listen now. How hard is it to manipulate someone who doesn't need anything you have? How easy is it to serve when your bucket's full? It's really hard to take a low road when you're filling your bucket by the accolades on the high road. You follow me? I am anxiously praying whatever yearning for a reformation to hit the church. And the reformation is that we learn to live from love, not for love. Now, what in the world's I got to do why every leader needs a counselor? The bottom line is, there's reasons this, how many of you know, most of us, every one of us, does God love you? Yes. Do you live immersed and saturated in the, in the experienced reality of his love? Eh, probably not. Why? You know, we talk about the 18-inch shift. Well, guess what's blocking it? Probably pre-existing conditions. Probably pre-existing conditions. Probably just life's messages that are planted deep in your soul that you're not even always consciously aware of, but they still push your buttons, jerk your chain. You follow me? Yeah. Now, do you, do, you, do you have to find a professional counselor to work all this out? Not necessarily, but you do have to start paying attention. You do have to start like, why, like, like, um, like I, one of the one of the little statements I had to myself is, how do you know you need a counselor? Not how do we know who needs a, but how do you know you need one? And just listen to these thoughts in this context of what we're talking about. You know, of course, I'm a smart addict, so how do you know you need a counselor? My first statement is, are you breathing? So, you know. Um, how do you know you need a counselor? Um, mirror, mirror on the wall, you remember that one? I don't know, what is that from? Snow White, maybe? And, you know, the, the queen would mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all, right? So here's my deal. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who, who what, where, when, how? What's got to be aligned right for you to feel good about yourself? Who do you have to have the approval of? What, what standards do you have to meet? You follow me? How do you, how do you, how do you figure some of this out? Um, how many of you in the room are married? Raise your hand if you're married. Is that pretty much everybody? Who's not married? <laughs> no, the only reason, because I, 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 I don't know why I did that. Put your hand down, Jorge. 
I don't know why I did that. Forgive me. I'm like, it wasn't necessary for my point, but that's weird. Forgive me for that weird little whatever. I don't know what that was. Jorge, you can slip me that five for that? No, I'm kidding. Um, Here's the reason I, what do we got? Okay, we're going to do some Q&A here in a minute. Um, Marriage is a mirror. Marriage is a mirror. Now, for those of you that aren't married, that's why I said this. Um, No, I don't know why I said it, but bottom line is, (laughs) the bottom line is, um, so are your relationships, so are, you know, in other words, life, life presents mirrors. Who do you see when you stand in front of a mirror? Now, here's the deal. Marriage is a mirror. What do I mean? In the, the day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute tussle called marriage, you see yourself the most accurately. You see how selfish you are. You see how petty you can be. You see all this stuff. But you also can start recognizing your early life woundedness. You follow me. In other words, use what life gives you. Love this thought. Don't waste your pain. How do you not waste pain? Learn from it. Learn from it. So let's just say you have a repeating cycle in your marriage. How many of you know most marriages have the same fight over and over? Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the deal, guys. There's something down below that. Right? Oh, well, you're so stinking controlling. Again, this is how a dude like me thinks. No one has a control issue. No one. Dude, that ain't right. I can point three of them in the room. Well, here's the deal. Why would someone feel the need to control their surroundings? Because they're scared, but we're going to put a word in between. They don't trust it to work out if they don't help it, which is because, who said that? Because, because of fear. So you don't have a control problem, you got a fear problem. Right? Now, fear is one of the two primary motivators in life, the other one's love. And what does love do to fear? Now, whose is the only love that can do that? God. So, the, so when you have controlling issues, here's the deal. It's hard to not make it about me and you. When in reality, it's not about me and you. Directly or indirectly, it's about you and God. Because you don't trust God. It isn't me you don't trust. It's God you don't trust. Like in counseling, I'll say to a couple, do you believe God brought you together? I call it the million-dollar question. Do you believe God brought you together? Imagine this now, almost 40 years doing this. I dare say, I don't think I could fill two hands with couples that said no. It's crazy, as jacked up a couple as you could ever imagine. And they'll look at each other for a second and say, yeah, he did. Well, here's the deal. Did God bring you together? Ask it one time, answer it, and never ask it again. Never ask it again. You're not allowed to. Did he bring you together? Then kind of a done deal. Did he know what you were getting? You understand what I'm saying? Did he, know, did he know there were some surprises waiting on you? You with me? 
Well, then you got a third deal. Hmm. Is he mean as a snake? Got a sick sense of humor? Or is there a method to his madness? And is it possible that in the, in the mer- mirror of your marriage, he wants you to see this stuff? And he wants you to have ways that in a, in a hopefully unconditionally loving environment, you can walk through this stuff. Are you with me? Contrary to Hollywood and Western reality, God, I don't think, created marriage just to give you goosebumps and sex and somebody to love you for the rest of your life. I think that's all part of it. But I think he gave you and came up with marriage for the same reason he did everything else, and that is to slowly but surely give you the opportunity to become conformed to the image of his son. And in the marriage of the interactions with your spouse, I resisted. I resisted right there. <laughs> you, you have the opportunity to see things about your... How many of you know it's easy to see things about her? You ain't, you ain't nothing. But when you can learn to see things about yourself and then have the guts to say, I don't think I can get to the bottom of this by myself. I'm going to need some help. Because I'm reacting. How many, of you, how many of you ever get in situations and you walk away and here's what you're th- saying to yourself. Wow, where did that come from? And your reaction, the event was this big. Your reaction was this big. Well, here's the deal. If the reaction's bigger than the stimulus that caused it, it ain't the stimulus's fault. A lot of times in a marriage, we're punishing our spouse for something that happened 30 or 40 years ago, maybe before we ever laid eyes on them. But it's fertile soil to say, God, what are you trying to show me? Now, one more point, then we'll do Q&A. Over here, control, fear. Here's the problem. What we tend to do is fight, fight the control. Here's, here's a, a cute, we've all heard of this probably, but the control's the fruit the fear's the root. Fair? You with me? Well, here's what I can tell you for sure. If you attack the fruit, you strengthen the root. If you attack the fruit, you strengthen the root. If you attack the person, oh, you're so controlling, you're, you're increasing their fear. They don't feel safe. Guess what? You're not solving your problem. You with me? Now, did any of this sound like why every leader needs a counselor? <laughs> like, what am I doing in here? <laughs> you know, how do you know you need a counselor? Are you, are you regularly justifying an out-of-balance lifestyle? Can you live the way you're living right now for decades? If not, why are you living that way? Oh, well, it's the season. You know what? I'll meet you in a year, and you're still in the same season. Shut up. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, do your buttons get pushed too easily in certain situations? Are you constantly comparing yourself to others? Gosh, you women are amazing the way you check each other out. You up and down each other worse than men do. I mean, you're, you, you get, I'll walk with my wife and I'll watch her go, mm-hmm. shoes, purse, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you see competition and comparison as healthy and normal? 
We throw that around in our circles. Well, competition's healthy. No, it's not. No, it's not. Competition's healthy in a fallen kingdom. I kind of thought we don't live in one. I'm supposed to root for my brother, not beat him. Sorry if I took your toy away. Are your, pri- are your priorities in order? Do they drift easily? Here's one for you in that area. Does your family get leftovers or do they get the best you have? If your family gets leftovers, I can tell you right this second, God is not pleased. Oh, we're saving the world. Don't let me say that word I'm not supposed to say anymore. <laughs> Come on. Saving them. How many of you know what we're saved into is, is important, if not more, than what we're saved out of? Why are we selling a gospel of peace and we ain't got none? Why are we inviting people into a kingdom with all these amazing promises and we're not even living there ourselves? Please, guys, use your heads. You teach what you know, you reproduce what you are. That ought to scare the mess out of you. Are you ignoring warning signs from God, spouse, friends, emotions, body, life rhythms? Don't have time to tell you about my crash because I ignored all this same stuff. Are you never satisfied? Are you able to be yourself in most environments and situations? Do you feel like you're drawing from a dry well? You with me? All right. Q&A. What are y'all thinking? One of my tests of good theology is how does it live? Can I tell y'all this lives good? This stuff lives good. Really does. Somebody? Yeah. Uh, My name's Colin, and uh, I'm from East Lansing, Michigan. All right. And... um, I've been a part of a ministry, never in a lead pastor uh, role, but in and out of a different few roles. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been through, had a tough childhood mm-hmm. that I just started dealing with probably <laughs> a year after I got saved. Mm-hmm. Um, been through like two counselors and where I live, it's challenging to find yeah. somebody who understands and can get at what I, I need I in the know. way that I need. I know. What would your recommendation be? Because I'm sure I'm not the only one in the house today no. with that issue. You know, that's one of the things I hate about doing a, cla- a moment like we're having because, gosh, I wish I had a good answer for you. Um, I mean, I think things are getting better. We're doing some things that we hope are going to help get things better. I'm hoping the day's going to come, and this is down the road a bit, when at this art conference, there's a whole subgroup of people like myself here that are networking and encouraging each other and stuff like that. There's probably some of you in the room, so I'd love to hear from you. Um, there's no doubt about it. If you've got early childhood stuff, it's not as simple as you just need a good friend who loves you and will speak the truth to you. That is definitely something all of us need. It's a good friend who loves us and will speak the truth to us. But there's no doubt about it. Sometimes you need somebody beyond that. Uh, as crazy as it's going to sound to some of you, uh, don't there, you don't have to go to a Christian counselor. Most counseling theories out there, cognitive therapy and all of its derivatives, family systems theory, and there's some other ones, 
if they if 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 those are the two biggest questions I'd ask. What what type, what model of therapy to use? And if they say anything in the cognitive family th- cognitive therapy family, they're probably going to be okay. Now you don't want to take should I divorce advice from them if they're not Christian, but. But the bottom line is they would know how to get down into some things. So as crazy as that may sound, if you're in an area that is hard to find, and it is, um, branch out of the Christian column if you have to. Um, Fish around. Here's the thing, man. The best way to find a good counselor is people they've worked with. Um, So, uh, yeah. Follow-up question. You got any slots open? <laughs> I can do video, so. <laughs> I actually do some of that. Key word is some of that. So, uh, did, I do, did I do good not answering that? <laughs> my name is uh, Chris. Hey, Chris. I'm from Niceville, Florida. Um, I am a certified recovery peer specialist in uh, recovery from co-occurring disorders and um, as of late, you know, we're, the, the state, the government, they're trying to incorporate peer support. Um, I noticed, you know, on my walk in faith, you know, our testimony is how we help each other. Um, do you see a way to kind of blend those two in, in a church environment that's a little less formal and more accessible because there's only one pastor or let's say there's only one person available for counseling and staff, you know, how do we... In- Include that peer element. Yeah, I mean more more specifically. Like I can't stand up and tell everybody in my church that I'm an alcoholic or I'm an addict in recovery. How do we? Uh... Now, if we had the right cultures, we could. Yeah, but we don't. Um, yes, I think the I think Chris, right? Yes, sir. I think the answer is yes to your question. Now, depends a lot on your context. Um. Let me try to say this carefully. Most pastors are called to pastor. Counseling is a necessary evil that comes with it. Most, meaning 51% or more, most pastors don't like it, and they're not that great at it, quite honestly. And if any of them get mad, send them to me. I'll happily talk to them. Um, but they're, and, and again, most of them, are, they can say it, man. I hate it. Now, not all of them. Some, there's some that like it. But my point is we've, we just got to do better. We've got a, we're real big on, on we're, trying to, we're trying to increase the conversation between the church and the mental health community around us. We've done some conferences um, and getting ready to do some more. Um, so, yes, I, I, would, I would just knock on the door and see what the possibilities are and holler at us because we've, like, we've started this ministry called Encouragers, and it's, a, it's, like, a, it's like a triage for you know, pre-counseling, you might call it. Hi, I'm Rebecca. Uh-huh. I'm also from Niceville, Florida. Um, I'm actually a secularly trained um, therapist, mental health Secular. counselor. Secularly trained. And then a terrible and wonderful thing happened, and I found God, and I'm now on my walk. But I've um, found biblical counseling, actually, which for me was very helpful. Um, there, are, There's a... There's a big cross-section between how we're trained secularly right. and then your faith. Right. Um, and I have found that to be uh, a great source of uh, strength for me and how I'm able to uh, counsel other people. That's different from uh, Christian counseling. Um, it's it's yeah. 
much more different. But I didn't know if you'd heard of it or if it's something name that you, me Name me some of the people. Uh, Dr. Ab Abercrombie. Is it Nuthetic? I don't believe so. Jay Adams? No. Okay. I don't, it's just then, basically using the Bible yeah, um, and yeah. guiding people through the Bible. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that much about it. Obviously, I know the Bible, and, and it's hopefully involved. But if it's working, go for it. Okay. Does that make sense? I just don't know. I don't know that, that name. and The Abercrombie sounds familiar, but I can't place it in my head. So I don't know how to answer you. Now, Nuthetic, the Jay Adams stuff. If anybody, forgive me, uh, not a big fan. Um, I wouldn't even call it counseling. Yes, sir. No way, somebody's already got the mic. <laughs> yes, sir. My name is David. I'm from East Lansing, Michigan. Uh-huh. Same place? Yes. Uh, Are you together with them? Uh, or him, I mean? I'm sorry. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah, yeah. yeah go great. Yeah. Um, so, and this is a little bit more of a complex question, and I, and I understand that, and, this, and I'm asking this from a personal uh, position. Um, and, again, it's complex. Do you have a recommended kind of, uh, like, step-by-step process or even just kind of like a general walk of, like, somebody that would be, that would fall under the LGBT kind of um, attractions and kind of uh, backgrounds, uh, but that's also Christian? Yeah. Uh, like just recommend a therapy. What what you would uh, go for? No, the big no. I don't. I don't know a particular model that I'd recommend, other than uh, love. Yeah. Start there. Um, let's quit yelling at things we don't understand. Um, acceptance and approval are not the same thing, and I think we've lost the ear of our culture because they're tired of us yelling at them. Um, we've lost the ear of our culture because they're tired of us yelling at them. We're just self-righteous, judgmental jerks half the time. Um, Now, I'm not saying these aren't real issues, but here's, here's my rule of thumb. I don't care what it is I'm trying to think about or posture. I just, like I watch somebody on stage or anywhere, and here's what I'm thinking. Can I picture Jesus saying what they're saying the way they're saying it. And if I can't, I'm probably going to another channel. And I'm probably not going to feed on your fountain. Because if, if you don't... How many of you know how we say it's important is what we say? Well, please try to spread that around. On social media, guys, give me a break, man. We're supposed to be known by our love. Two minutes left? Okay. What do we got? You mentioned um, attacking the fruit, strengthening the root. And I was just wondering, uh, when the fruit is all you see, it's the manifestation of the root. What are some practical ways of figuring out how to identify the root without calling your counselor five times a day? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You wouldn't call me ever. (laughs) I don't take calls. (laughs) No, I'm sort of kidding, but not really. Let me say, let me say, let me explain because that didn't sound right. I care deeply, but I don't carry. If I'm meeting with you for our hour, you will have my absolute undivided attention. When I leave the hour, unless I'm your pastor, uh, you're not on my mind. 
because I can't, I, I, wouldn't, I would be nuts by now. So it's just little habits I've learned. So forgive me for that sarcastic smart. Here's the deal. Sin, the, the, the cycle, the sin cycle is a quick way to say it, but I don't like it. Here's the thing. Anytime you're caught in a cycle that's unproductive, anytime you're caught in a cycle that's unproductive, could be sin or could be whatever, it's always built around a right need you're meeting the wrong way. It's always built around a right need you're meeting the wrong way. So you got fruit in your face. What you want to ask or get, you want to use questions. How do, you, how do you talk to somebody with fruit that's not looking so good? Use questions. Like, well, why, why, do, you, why do you feel that way or why, whatever. And what, I, call question, I call why the elevator question. It, it takes your thinking down a floor. And what you want to get to, like in the, in the controlled trust fear, the bottom line is what's the need? What, what's the need of someone who's controlling? What is it? Security. So the need is, and if you can talk, start talking about that, you're going to start finding some root stuff. Because probably what you're going to find is it's back here somewhere. Does that make sense? So it's, what I said a minute ago is really, really important. What drives our unhealthy cycles is appropriate needs that we're trying to meet the wrong way. We good? I've enjoyed it, man. Love you guys. Well, most of you, most of you.